As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Welcome to the latest episode of On Farm. It's Monty here again and we're recording this episode in the run-up to Christmas. So, thoughts turn to family. Families, well, farming families, is a large part of the subject of today's episode. We're going to be talking about succession. Now, that subject is something that I know has been covered quite a bit in various uh, papers and conferences, etc. of late. But I hope you get something from this episode that's very different. We had a really good chat with the team from Shepherd and Wedderburn. There's a real message that... It's never too early to start talking about succession. We're in an industry where, sadly, your know, safety record's not the best. Things can happen that you just don't, you don't, you just don't think it's going to happen to you. We all think we're invincible until something happens. You've lost your father, so you're coping with that. Then you're having to move, which is really stressful. Then you're kicking yourself the whole time because of something that's gone wrong and you're blaming yourself. So you can't underestimate the importance of these things. Now, although our daughters are still primary school age and you can probably hear them here in the background playing with toy ponies, I guess the harsh truth is you just never know what's around the corner. As you'll hear in this episode, it's not just about when someone sadly passes away. Unfortunate things like Alzheimer's and dementia and people being incapacitated and what happens then. How does a business go on if somebody's incapacitated, can't go on, or is no longer there? You know, if you can't order seed, if you can't order feed, you've animal welfare issues, you've got a whole raft of things there. If somebody hasn't made a power of attorney, everything is stuck, what's the solution? Unfortunately, a very expensive and lengthy court process. Before we get fully into the episode, just a few thank yous. Our usual thank yous to folk who tweeted and shared and shouted out and helped us to promote the previous episode. We really do appreciate that. It's great. And sometimes it's difficult to spot when you've tweeted about us. So please do tag us into your tweets at on underscore farm UK. So this week's thanks go to the Sheep Veterinary Society, Philip Skews, Beth Wells, and Andrew Moyer again, all three for a second week in a row. Thank you very much. So, here we go. We've got the perfect panel of guests for this episode. NFU Scotland, RSABI, and our legal experts from Shepherd and Wedderburn. Yep, hi everybody. My name's Nina. I'm the chief exec of RSABI. I've been there now seven years and I can't quite believe it. We help people in the farming community, um, practically, emotionally and financially. People who are struggling with their everyday lives and our welfare team and helpline team really kind of come together and help them through that process of getting 
on and getting better with themselves. As we're recording this remotely um, via Zoom call, I'm going to go, what will I do? Anti-clockwise around my screen. So it's Gillian next. Gillian. Thanks, Monty. Yes, I'm Gillian Campbell. I'm one of four private client partners at Shepherd and Wedderburn. Um, I'm the resident partner in Aberdeen. I head up the private client team there, dealing mainly with wills and powers of attorney, succession planning. Um, I wind up executory estates after people have sadly passed away as well. That makes it you next, Hamish. Hi, Monty. Uh, yes, I'm Hamish Lean. I'm head of rural property at Shepherd and Wedderburn and lead a large team of solicitors devoted to rural clients. My own client base is predominantly made up of family farming businesses and succession planning is something that's very close to my heart. And lastly, Martin. Uh, hi, Monty. I'm Martin Kennedy. I'm a beef and sheep hill farmer in Highland Perthshire and I'm currently Vice President of NFU Scotland and uh, succession planning is obviously something that's affected me in the past and it's likely to affect me in the future. So I think there's going to be a, a lot of, of, of interest around our chat, I'm sure. Thanks. Now, I don't want to reheat cold kale, as they say, Succession planning, this is an issue that's been um, kicked around and talked about and discussed a fair bit over the last few years. We want to capture people's attention. Why is succession planning an important thing for consideration? I guess the first question there is, what do we mean by succession planning? And I'm going to come to Hamish Lean just to give us a bit of an insight into what we're actually going to be talking about. Thanks, Monty. I suppose the reason why you might want to have a succession plan in place is that if you don't, it can cause catastrophic damage within a family and I have a number of cases where succession planning hasn't been properly thought out and where family members have been at loggerheads for literally years costing them tens and tens of thousands of pounds of uh, professional fees. But really, put in a nutshell, succession planning is making sure that the the family members who are involved in the the business have properly thought out how the business is going to continue after they die, which family members are going to be involved in the business uh, and taking the, the, the business on, how family members who aren't in the business can be catered for, and how their needs can be met in a way which doesn't have them fighting with other family members who are continuing in the in the, the business. There are a, a whole suite of legal documents that uh, family members should be thinking about in that process. People should have wills in place. They should have powers of attorney in place. They should have uh, partnership agreements where appropriate in place. So it's thinking about all of that in the round and making sure that uh, things have been thought about and planned for uh, just to prevent uh, people falling out in in the future. Nina, Hamish is throwing a lot of legal considerations there, but I think the main message that's coming out is that this is about preventing a family fight. I wonder if in your position at RSABI, you maybe pick up the pieces from a lot of these family fights. Is that a fair thing to say? Very much so. From our perspective, the emotional side of that process can be very difficult, both in actually establishing a succession plan, but also if you don't and something goes wrong, what then happens? The stress and anxiety of a family fallout is is truly awful. And then when you add on layers of debt and 
financial worries because they've got legal bills to pay. And at the end of the day, farms are worth a lot of money. Tenancies are worth a lot of money. But sitting down, properly talking through something, listening to everybody around the table, you can come up with a good plan. And yes, plans change, but the basic premise is still there. You know, making sure things are dealt with in a way that you would like them to be dealt with. Sometimes not having that discussion puts a lot of pressure on the next generation, the eldest son, for example, who may not actually want to farm. Um, And it's actually the number two or three that might want to. Um, It could be a female, which perhaps somebody hasn't considered. But that general communication isn't easy, but it's well worth it. Martin, what's coming out of this is it's all about families and it's all about family farming. Now, some might say that actually that's a thing of the past. If a family farm goes to the wall because the next generation can't take it on or whatever, the land goes to someone who maybe farm it more efficiently, the steading is developed, and that might be the way that things need to move forward in the future. With regard to the efficiencies, Monty, um, I think there's a place for both here. I certainly don't think the family farm is a, a thing of the past. It's something that's really close to my heart, um, and I still think in the vast majority of the land in, in the LFA areas of Scotland, it's family farms as the backbone of the industry. I think the challenge is probably having that first initial discussion within the family is probably the hard one, and that's the one, if that first one never takes place, that's when you end up with, you know, a whole raft of different legal aspects and that's when Nina has to pick up the pieces and it's trying to encourage people to make these decisions and discussions. I was fortunate that my father had things, everything well under control and I learned a lot from him and the fact that, you know, if I want to do something similar, I need to make sure there's something in place and we've not got as far down the road with that as as what we'd like to so far. I mean, Nina hit the nail on the head by saying it might be the oldest child that's not interested in the farm. And it may be a female. Well, she's absolutely spot on. I've got three daughters. Jane and I have three daughters here. And my oldest daughter works with Scottish Woodlands. My middle daughter's mad getting the farm. It's all she's ever wanted to do. And my youngest daughter's part-time in the farm. So it's, um, yeah, there's a whole raft of things to discuss there. And the complications that comes with it is incredible. You say that you've you've sort of been there a little bit in terms of succession from your own father. What was that like? Did that throw up family anxieties and, and, and issues? And Yeah, there was probably a degree of uncertainty because I, I was fortunate. My, my father was pretty clued up in all this. My older brother still farms where my father was. We're in another part of the state now, so we, we're seeing both sides of the coin here because my brother's still in a secure tenancy. Um, I'm not in that position. We're in an MLDT, quite happy for, you know, for that to go out. But it works fine. We got on fine with the state. We're hoping these MLDTs will continue. So for the family that's going to be here, particularly somebody that's not involved in the farm, how do you, you know, how do you kick off the discussion with, well, yes, there's a value here that's going to be to those that are very keen to take on the farm. But obviously there's other members of the family that want some security as well. Obviously when it comes to you know us not being here, they deserve to have a share of whatever's going to be there. How do you value something like an MLDT that has a finish date in it, albeit the, the, the idea is for these MLDTs to continue? So it's difficult, and, and that's why that's why we need professional help. We can't sort all these things out ourselves. My brother really had it nailed, actually, because we get on really well, but if we were in the same business, it probably would not have worked. <laughs> and Drew would say the same as me. We get on really well, work back and forward all the time. If we were in the same business, it would probably fall apart, probably, because we've both got different ideas. So Dad called that one right, and I, and I took that as a really strong lesson. You need to try and have things in place that you think is going to work out, you know. In my position, I've got um, two young daughters, one one who's seven and one who's rising five. 
I think it's the younger one that might think about the farming side of it more, but goodness, I couldn't imagine them both together in a farming situation anyway, that's for certain. Um, I'll bring in Hamish and then Gillian on this, but Hamish, first, um, Martin referred to MLDT there. What's, what's an MLDT from a legal perspective? So uh, an MLDT is a modern limited duration tenancy, which is a tenancy for 10 years or longer. But it was interesting the points that Martin was making about agricultural tenancies, uh, particularly about secure agricultural tenancies, because they are becoming increasingly valuable assets. But there are technical rules about transferring a secure tenancy from one generation to the next. If those technical rules aren't followed, the secure tenancy can end up being lost because either no steps were taken at all or the wrong legal step was taken after death of the uh, of the tenant. Uh, and if the secure unit is the primary business location of the family business and that tenancy is jeopardised because the succession uh, rules haven't been followed, that can be disastrous to a family farming business. Can you maybe, I don't know if you feel that you can, but can you expand on it when you there see was, a number of There was situations? one particular situation that uh, I remember being consulted about, but unfortunately too late to be able to do, uh, to make a difference. In a secure tenancy it's quite common for the, the lease to say that the tenant isn't entitled to make a bequest of their interest as tenant in their will. Um, and where the, the lease does say that, it's still possible for the tenant's interest to be inherited and there's a transfer process involving the executors. Uh, in that particular case, the tenant died and in his will, uh, he left the tenancy to his son. But what the tenant who had made the will and the lawyer drawing up the will had overlooked was the fact that the lease said you're not entitled to make a formal bequest of your interest uh, of the tenancy in the will. Now the son, having read the will, then served a notice on the landlord saying I've been left my father's interest in the tenancy and I'm accepting the bequest that was made in my favour and I'm now the tenant. The landlord was aware that the lease didn't allow the tenant to do that, so it simply sat back and did nothing. In due course, after um, a period of time, the landlord was in a position to serve a notice to quit on the son, who thought he was the tenant, but the son had no defence to the notice to quit because the proper procedures hadn't been followed, and that tenancy was lost. It involved the family home, it involved the family farm upon which the family depended for the, the, the business. The consequences were disastrous. Can you imagine having to pack up all your stuff out the house and move somewhere that you've lived probably all your life and generations before, sell all your cattle and sheep, that is the end of your business just because of a legal technicality. I've come across cases like that and you've lost your father, so you're coping with that. Then you're having to move, which is really stressful. Then you're kicking yourself the whole time because of something that's gone wrong and you're blaming yourself. There's folk who've gone really, really ill because of that and it's affected them for the rest of their lives. So you can't underestimate the importance of these things. Gillian, it sounds like there's a, there's a list of do's and don'ts. There's a checklist here. You're the, 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 the family lawyer in all this and you'll see this from, from a farming perspective, a rural perspective. You'll see it from all sorts of families, I'm guessing. What, 
what should people be looking out for? Absolutely. Thanks, Monty. And and that particular point that Hamish and Nina just mentioned there, with planning and, and forward thinking put into place, that can be avoided. It's just being aware of these issues and, and speaking to somebody that, that knows and knows the best way to structure these things. You also mentioned as well when we were discussing having young children and you know not having a, a clue who might be interested in farming who might not and I think that puts a lot of farmers off coming in because they think well what's the point of me going in to make a will I don't have a clue who to leave the farm to um, but there are there are ways that we can still deal with that and still have some kind of plan you can put in place a fully discretionary will where you you can leave the the terms of the will, I suppose, very woolly in terms of where certain parts or all of the estate are to go to, but direct that the estate or the farm is to be held in a trust by the trustees, executors, and it will be them to have the discretion to make the decision based on the circumstances at the the time of death. It avoids farms falling into intestacy or being pushed into a a decision about who you think might take the farm, who might be interested, and it turns out to be the wrong decision. It's also important to leave a letter, some kind of letter of wishes, some kind of blueprint for the trustees to, to follow. Going on from that, it's really important about choice of trustees as well. It's obviously not very sensible to have all of the children as trustees. Unfortunately, we do see that in some cases where clients do appoint the surviving spouse whom failing or around all of the children and hope that they'll all kind of put their heads together and do the right thing. And that can cause just lots of friction and lots of work for Hamish and I as well down the road. And relationships that will break down irretrievably because usually by that time both parents have gone so they're the glue you know that would usually keep the family together and get everybody around the table and you know come on sort it out they've gone. I wonder Martin might be best place to come in in this Martin having sort of been through this considered it in your own situation and indeed in your position with NFUS what's the message here about when is the best time to start looking at these issues? When are we wanting to, to, to really be round the table and, and, and having these discussions? To be honest, I think it's as soon as, po- as, as soon as possible. You don't always know what the situation is going to be, who's going to be involved, who's going to be keen in the situation. It probably doesn't mean to say that you don't have to have something in place that can be updated at a later date. You know, as I say, we've looked at this. We haven't done anything formally yet, but we've had discussions within the family, but we're probably not as far down the road as we should be. Realistically, if something was to happen, we're in an industry where, sadly, you know, our safety record's not the best. Things can happen that you just don't, you don't, you just don't think it's going to happen to you. Nina, do you want to come in on this? I would say it's really simple. Do it now. Do it straight away. And we've had one case where there was a sudden accident, just as Martin said, there was no will in place, so everything got frozen. Your bank account gets frozen. You can't get access to money. So this chap that we were helping hadn't eaten for two weeks because he had no access to cash. We gave him food vouchers until we sorted out you know, the alternative methods. These things take time, and you, you genuinely don't know. And you can always go back in and amend, and you should be visiting these things as, as life progresses because people's 
outlooks change and their wants for retirement. You know, how many working farmers do we know that are still working in their 80s? You know, maybe because they don't know anything different. But if they started to plan these things, they could enjoy their life, hand over to the next generation earlier than that, still be part of the farm because there's a good communication, a good working relationship with everybody. And how many people know the matriarch that still has the checkbook? which means the new generation can't come through. But if these plans are in place, people can relax a little bit more knowing that they're safe behind the scenes. I think that's a real concern, Nina. We see that all too often, that the older generation still have complete control over everything. We see it incredibly often, and the next generation might be in their 50s and 60s and don't have any control or any say. And that's worrying because, because then responsibility is a serious shock when it does actually have to happen. And they think, whoa, what's this I've got to do? And that's the reality. And I'm not saying that's the case right across the board. It certainly is not. I think there's more and more people recognising that the next generation is the ones that's going to take the industry forward. But we're seeing that all too often, and that's what can often cause the, the family splits, because then it comes to, well, who's taking responsibility for this? I don't know what to do here. Yeah, another case in hand where, you know, mum was doing all the paperwork, all the cattle registrations, she died suddenly, um, had she had a short illness and passed away and she was relatively young. But the next generation didn't have a clue and ended up getting into trouble because they didn't register their cattle properly. And it took us about six months and BCMS were brilliant. You know, we got new passports issued and everything. But just something as basic as that, you know, it, oh, it's infuriating. But we need to give the older generation what they're looking for as much as the younger. So why aren't they letting go? There'll be a reason for that. And that's what this discussion is. And sometimes it's quite useful to have someone mediating that discussion if it's difficult or tricky, because then people tend to behave themselves a little bit better. Because when emotion comes into it, it's actually very difficult to, to be honest when you're dutiful to your parents and vice versa. You know, you know, you want the best for your kids. Most, you know, all parents do. I really hope that our listeners are paying attention to this because it's important stuff that's coming out here. You know, the woman that's milking her cows in the parlour and the guy who's got the earpods in and walking the dog and listening, I hope you just stop and think about this for a wee minute because it is serious stuff. You touch on the need for what you would say arbitration there, Nina. Um, Hamish, Gillian, do one of you want to come in on that? That can be important. What also helps with that is where the discussions are taking place at an early stage because there's nothing like 10 or 20 years of pent-up resentment and bitterness exploding in a family discussion. That's quite something to see. And the longer that people delay putting off those really tough conversations, unfortunately, the worse it's going to be. We are getting down to some really tough, horrible topics here, really. I mean, it kind of makes you... Gillian, have you seen that? Have you seen this pent-up frustration and people sort of... I guess they've got grief on their hands as well, but they're also, bang, this is what I want. Why haven't I got my way? I see a lot of that, Monty. Um, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of grief. There's there's a big, a big trouble is that the lost parent generally isn't there to say, why did you treat me this way? Why did you give my brothers more than you've given me? There can be lots of suspicion of undue influence. Sometimes there's no funny business there. It's just for whatever reason, the parent made that decision. But it's it's really different, difficult for the person that we are acting for um, because they just see it as you know completely unfair and no mother or father would never have done that. Some pressure must have been put on them. You know, they weren't well. Um, they were discouraged from seeing me by my brothers and sisters. It's just all really unpleasant for them. It's and hurtful. They're left hurt. They hurt. They're left disappointed. 
That's why the communication is so important, isn't it? If people know ahead of time that that's the plan, um, people have got involved in that process. Um, there's another area as well which we've come across is the assumption. So some family members have been working on the farm for quite often decades, not really getting their pay properly done you know they're not working for very much and then parents pass away and they they expect to take the farm on and then they get a nasty shock is that still happening is it still happening that there are people out there with the kind of head in the sand mentality all this will be mine one day and not actually going to speak to people like hamish or Gillian and making sure that they are in the right is that still happening and are you picking up the pieces? Well, in occasions, we hope that people come to us sooner rather than later as well, because there are things you can you can do and you can build bridges and repair relationships. Because it's so common, it's I-been, as it were. There's other issues as well. They might get to that point, but actually then find that the farm's really indebted and it's almost an impossible hole to get out of. And had they known, they might have gone and done something else. You know, so it's, it's just that being open and honest with each other and communication. But it, the reason that a lot of people don't do it is because it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole point, you know, because you're sharing some difficult things with each other. I think that's the real challenge, Nina. It's, it's like an awful lot of things that we, we, you would think, well, that subject's taboo. We still put it to the, ah, it'll be fine, you know. So, And that's where the assumptions will come in from people that are thinking, well, this will all be mine. And, and it happens that that's not the case at all. Or as you say, it's indebted that much. You know, how do you get out of that hole? And yeah, it's kicking off that early conversation, but it's being more open about it. It's, it's people just having to talk about it and be more open. And I think that's the assumption maybe doesn't just go up the way or back the general. That assumption could be the other way as well, because you've also got that son that's doing it because he feels he has to. Son or daughter are doing it because they feel they have to, and there's an assumption there from the parents that oh, well, this is fine, this is getting left to the next generation. Whereas, and that assumption could be well, it'd be far better doing something else and getting somebody else younger and 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 let them take that over. And that some people feel the need they have to carry on when the reality is they're maybe not in a happy place. And if they'd had that discussion twenty years earlier, they might have thought, well. You know, maybe we should just, you know, let somebody else take this on. You're not really wanting to do this, are you? But you feel you have to, and they could do something different. And they're maybe in a happier place than what they are. And so, come on, Martin. How do we actually do this? Who takes the bull by the horns and gets everyone round the table? I don't think it needs to be one single person. I mean, hopefully some of our listeners that's listening to this podcast are thinking, well, yes, we're not the parents, we're not the owner of the business, but maybe we could instigate this conversation and say, look, mum, dad, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts on this? A big message from this is what? Be brave. Just do it. Yeah, just, just do it. You're probably yeah. better to do it now. And in some cases, you might find that you're going to hear what you're expecting to hear. But there'll be the odd ones that might think, well, I wasn't expecting that. So that conversation is better to be heard now than it is 20 years down the line. Could I also flag up another issue, which is a lot of the family farming businesses that I deal with are farming partnerships. Typically, the scenario will be parents and son or daughter as the partners in the business. Quite often, the farmer farms have been owned by father and mother, but they are then put onto the partnership uh, balance sheet. And the effect in law when that happens is that the farm doesn't belong to mum and dad anymore. They hold it in trust on behalf of the partnership. Now, why that's important is that a farm is obviously heritable property. According to Scots law, you're entitled in your will to leave your heritable property to uh, whom you want. So 
you can leave it to anybody. Whereas uh, if your property is movable property, once again, you can leave that to who you like, but your children have legal rights claims on the value of your movable property. So if mum, for example, owns the farm um, and enters into partnership with her daughter, the farm becomes partnership property. So mum's no longer the owner of heritable property. What she has is a, a right of movable property. She's a right to be paid out her interest in the partnership, which will reflect the value of the farm. But when mum dies, the daughter's uh, two brothers and sister have legal rights claims on the value of mum's movable estate. And mum's movable estate comprises the value of the, the farm because her movable estate is her interest in the partnership and her interest in the partnership is made up partially of the value of the farm. So suddenly the succession planning which mum and daughter thought were in place and that daughter was taking on the farm and so on, everything's up in the air because the siblings are claiming legal rights and are entitled to a significant chunk of value, which if the daughter wants to continue farming, she's got to find that money and pay it out to her brothers and sister. And sometimes that's a very, very unpleasant shock, and sometimes the business just can't survive that. I think you've just highlighted, Tamish, why it's so important that we need to understand these things, because that, that the scenario you've just highlighted just now, I just wonder how many people are aware of that are in that situation. It really highlights the importance of this and getting these conversations going to understand these technicalities. I have quite a few, lots of clients over the years, farming clients who've come in to make wills and I've asked them whether the farmland is in the partnership, if it's partnership property or if it's not, if it's held by them individually and just used by the partnership. Almost invariably, they don't know. You know, they, they, they really don't know. And it's not just the case that because their name is on the, the old title deed that it's that it's in their name, it could have easily come over as partnership property and we have to go and speak to the accountants and say, is the is the land within the balance sheet? You know, are there notes? How is it being treated? Because uh, the clients often just don't know. They just don't think about it. They haven't had to think about it. Legal rights are what they are. There's no really, really clever way to, to get round them other than making sure that your movable estate is kept to, you know, a kind of minimum and inheritable estate remains heritable estate. But legal rights discharges, as well as being made after death, when the executors explain to the, the potential claimants, they have a claim, this is the value of the claim, that they can also in anticipation be discharged during the, the life of the the owner and that may be just voluntarily or it could be that some planning has been put in place some succession planning when it's come to other assets and other assets other um, value is passed during life which can be good for inheritance tax planning um, decreasing the value of chargeable estate onto to children but in exchange they are expected to sign a, a discharge of, of legal rights. And as long as they know the value of what they're discharging, then that's watertight. It's only if after death they've signed a bit of paper discharging their legal rights and actually find out that it was really something very valuable that they have signed away and they weren't that wasn't explained to them and there's a potential challenge there. Actually, what you're now getting to is that a lot of people maybe don't even understand what they've got. They don't even understand what is on the bit of paper in terms of who actually owns the farm. Moving on, 
what happens if if the farmer, um, for want of a better way of putting it, the farmer is incapable? There's something that we need to look at, I believe, called power of attorney. It's another vital piece of documentation that everybody should have. There's so many cases we've we've come across where perhaps an accident has rendered someone very badly um, affected and can't work any longer, can't decision make. Um, dementia is more common now as well. As time goes on, it's very difficult for families then to put their affairs in order once this starts to happen. Again, if it's already in place, power of attorney can deal with a lot of these issues. And again, it's about having that discussion about what the outlook for the future was um, agreed with the family. And then you can just carry on and do it. But without it, uh, again, it's it's a, a morass of problems for the family. And it's at a very distressing time because the person who's going through dementia, for example, who's going in and out uh, can get very frustrated and angry and not understand what's going on as well. And dealing with that on a day-to-day basis, let alone trying to run the farm and everything is really tough. There's a, there's a common misconception that my next of kin, my, my husband, my wife, my children will have automatic legal authority to deal with these things. They think, oh, I don't need a power of attorney, you know, my wife will do that. Nobody has legal authority. If if somebody loses capacity, um, either through dementia, old age or, or an accident, it's similar to when somebody dies. Everything is frozen. Everything is stuck. Nobody can make decisions. Nobody can access money in bank accounts, investments, order stock, pay invoices. The only way of protecting oneself is to grant a power of attorney Will you still have capacity to do so. And that's something that I speak to clients all the time when they're in making a will, updating wills. I always ask them, do you know about a power of attorney? Have you got that, that in place? Do you want to, to speak about that? And clients often go out the, the door happy, everything in place with a will and a power of attorney. The other side, if, if somebody hasn't made a power of attorney, everything is stuck. What's the solution? Unfortunately, a very expensive and lengthy court process in that the interested people, generally the family, somebody, one or two people will have to apply to the court to be appointed as a financial guardian and possibly welfare guardian as well, if that's also needed. And being a court process, invariably, it takes some months. Um, You can add a zero onto the end of what you would pay for a power of attorney. And even once the order has been granted, there's much more ongoing compliance with the Office of the Public Guardian. Who, you know, farming situation here, who does the farmer grant power of attorney to? That's a very good question, Monte. There are two aspects to a power of attorney. It can relate to financial powers and financial management, and it can relate to what we call welfare powers, which are decisions about where somebody might be treated in hospital, what medical treatment they they undergo and so on. But the, the financial management aspect is vitally important. The person best placed to be appointed as attorney might be the same person or people who have been appointed by the, uh, the farmer in his or her will, because essentially they're, they're acting as uh, trustees, if you like, making decisions on behalf of the farmer that the farmer would have been likely to have made themselves. So the key qualification is somebody the farmer knows and trusts to make decisions that uh, the farmer would likely approve of. Martin, I'm not going to put words in your mouth here, but this is kind of nightmare stuff, isn't it? I mean, it really makes you think. Yeah, you, you've just hit the nail on the head. You're not putting words in my mouth at all. That's the words that was going to come out. 
It's worrying and it's probably frightening and it's probably the bit that stops these discussions happening. Realistically, it's all farming operations. You know, if you can't order seed, if you can't order feed, you've animal welfare issues, you've got a whole raft of things there. And then that's when it falls on Nina. You've got these really serious situations. Well, you know, what are we going to do? I'd just like to make the point as well. If you don't do these things, you can quite often add a zero onto the costs involved. I've come across situations where people don't want to pay the accountant and don't want to pay legal fees but it's vital that you do get good advice good professional advice I mean we've talked about tenancies earlier and the loopholes and things that you really need to be aware of we've had a case where somebody was about to sign away their rights to a secure tenancy not realizing the value of it you know it's not just about succession sometimes but there is a general lack of or reluctance of, of paying these professional fees when in actual fact it will save you so much in the future and not just from financial aspect but all that stress and anxiety as well they're so worth their money Nina thanks for that I mean you might expect Gillian and I <laughs> to say that we're value for money but you can pay me later <laughs> um, but actually it is a real false economy not to get good professional advice and to take proper steps to protect the business It's just daft not to, because it can end up causing so much trouble and causing so much more, uh, costing so much more money at the end of the day that it's a real false economy not to to get that advice in the first place. But I'm glad you said it, not me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Hamish, help us to to end on on a lighter note. Grant everyone's wishes. Give one one part of the family the money and the other the ability to farm. Is that doable? It is doable. Obviously, you don't want to saddle one part of the family with all the cash and the other part of the family with all of the debt. But you can take out insurances. You can make off-farm investments. For example, uh, a flat in the the, the neighbouring town which will be destined to go to um, one of the children who isn't making their living on the farm. But you can only make provision like that if you start planning for it at an early stage. If you're near the end of your days and you're suddenly faced with all of these problems and you've not done any of that, it's going to be a much, much harder job. But uh, you, you can you can share amongst family members. I often say to people that it's as long as people feel that they've been treated fairly, that doesn't necessarily mean equally. But you need to have quite a lot of grown-up conversations before you get to that stage. Quite often it's just taking those first few steps. And I wondered if if Martin and NFU Scotland, um, wonderful organisation, could maybe have a succession planning day in the year, in the calendar, that makes everybody in the industry have that discussion. It focuses the mind of everybody in the industry. Oh, 14th of March, I need to be, well, actually, March is a rubbish time, everybody be lambing, but you know what I mean? Then that might actually start those conversations now because it's so important. It really is. Yeah, absolutely, Nina. I mean, it's something we have discussed within NFU Scotland and get this ball rolling. And this is probably not about directly speaking to those that are the owners or the owners of the tenancy this is about speaking to all families all businesses realistically you know it's about everybody because then that might you know trigger that conversation from the next generation up the way and at least set the ball rolling so yeah Yeah. take that on board now because we'll certainly look at doing that we've covered a lot of ground and hopefully this has um, been interesting listening and and i would hope it might be a tool in the box for anyone who wants to 
raise these issues. Maybe this is something that you could encourage other members of your family to listen to and it might help as a, a, a trigger to open up the conversations. Hamish, in terms of a very quick sort of signpost, what do you want to flag up your website or how does it, what's the best thing that you can offer as a toolbox? The easiest uh, entry point for people who want to get advice from ourselves would be via our website, www.shepwed.com. And if people access the website, they'll then be able to get contact details for myself and Gillian. And uh, we, we do have some online resources about succession planning. And Nina, lastly, coming to you, but, but being upbeat about this, because this is not just about people phoning in their hour of need. But, you know, RSABI is there to help with these issues when people are, you know, wanting to grab the bull by the horns and get on with it. So go on. RSABI phone number, please. Yep. If anybody struggling with the issues raised around this podcast, please don't hesitate to phone our helpline. It's 0300 111 4166. Even if it's just a chat about how to start the conversation, let alone, you know, the crisis point. Um, there'll be somebody at the end of the line who'll be friendly, who'll listen and who'll be able to help. Thank you, team. Well done. That was absolutely brilliant and really enjoyed that. And I hope our listeners do too.